0: You're listening to Work in Progress. I'm Ramona Schindelheim, Editor-in-Chief of Working Nation. Work in Progress explores the rapidly changing workplace through conversations with innovators, educators, and decision makers, people with solutions to today's workforce challenges. Using tech to advance accessibility at work and at home was a key theme at this year's big CES 2024 conference in Las Vegas earlier this month. It is also the mission of the Consumer Technology Association Foundation, the philanthropic arm of the organization that runs the conference. Executive Director Steve Ewell sat down with me at CES to talk about the ways the foundation is supporting tech companies that can improve the lives of two growing yet often overlooked populations, older adults and people with disabilities.
1: When we created the foundation, we Obviously we're tied to the trade association that represents the technology industry and runs CES here. So we looked at what the industry is already doing in philanthropy and we realized that there were two growing yet often overlooked uh, populations. That was older adults and people with disabilities. So we really approach ways to use technology to improve Lives of people in those populations. We do that through three core pillars, one of which is convening. So it's bringing people together. So obviously here at CES, we're bringing a lot of people together, but we also do activities like we had an accessibility roundtable where we brought together industry and advocates to talk about different issues that are impacting things like AI and hybrid work environments and other things along those lines that technology can make a difference in. Getting the right people in the room, having the right conversations we really see is critical. Our second pillar is around promoting innovation. So we do a number of programs. Uh, we give away five booths every year at CES for startups that have technologies that could benefit either older adults or people with disabilities. So we've got five great startups uh, here uh, this year. We also had a pitch competition the other day. This year focused on health tech, but uh, had eight companies from all over the world pitching their products. And had Uh, a really incredible uh, basically a mouth-based controller that uh, won uh, the the judges choice and the audience choice was a company uh, that does like care plans and other things along those lines so some really interesting products and you know just a massive audience uh, for for that program so it's really serving to both recognize companies that are doing this work really well but also uh, serving to kind of be a a little bit of a carrot to uh, attract the attention of companies that maybe hadn't uh, addressed aging or disability yet. And the last is we do uh, grants. Uh, We are, we're not a massive uh, funder, but we do uh, about a half a million dollars a year in grants to nonprofits around the U.S. that are using technology to help either older adults or people with disabilities.
0: I love that you've recognized that, as an organization, that you recognize that these are two populations that are often overlooked. There's a lot of fear in the community, I'll I'll start with the older worker. there's a lot of fear that technology is going to somehow leave them behind. So it sounds like you are, in a way, investing in, whether it's your time or some of your philanthropic dollars, in companies that are actually helping older adults live a better life. Tell me a little bit about how technology can impact them.
1: Yeah, so it's a wide variety of different programs. So one is looking at the types of technologies that can create social connections, looking at the types of technologies that can help people stay in the workforce longer if if they choose to and if they want to. In many cases, some people need to stay in the workforce longer. So helping to uh, enable that getting people connected with the skills that they need as well so a lot of the programs we support are around technology training and education we see that there's a real gap in awareness both from consumers knowing what technologies are out there that they could need or could use but also from companies being aware of the needs of older adults and people with disabilities. So that's once again why we try to really advance these conversations because we can see uh, you know, the way that just addressing this and in- including older adults in these discussions makes a massive difference in the opportunity for those technologies to help people. Could you give me
0: an example of maybe of a company that is making it possible for an older worker to stay in the workplace a little bit longer?
1: Yeah, so I mean, one of the interesting things that i see now is all the i mean we're at ces this week uh, everyone's talking ai right now it's interesting to see the opportunities that are coming with generative ai this is something i've been playing around with a little bit and are uh, i'm continuing to explore because just i mean i know sometimes at the end of the day just creating that email or writing something that uh you know i'm just not you know i'm brain dead by the end of the day and you know, looking at things like that, that you can just provide that little extra support. Now, if not generating everything perfectly and just send it out, but it can do that first draft for you, which I found really incredible. And I think that's really uh, something that could be beneficial. We also see opportunities with like transportation technologies. One of the challenges we find with older adults is, you know, being able to get to work and you know, looking at different types of solutions, whether you're looking at public transit or whether you're looking at you know, vehicle tech. We've got a ton of vehicle tech here uh, at the show uh, this week, but looking at some of those things that can help people get to where they're going and stay in the workforce in that way, and then just you know things different types of interfaces different types of you know being able to have text-to-speech or speech-to-text which could certainly help if someone is you know having uh, dexterity issues or or other challenges so there's a wide variety of different types of technologies that i see in this space
0: and some of that technology like ar is also being used for training purposes so if you need to be upskilled then you can do it in a virtual environment at first. So that might be something that might be useful for older adults, I would imagine.
1: Absolutely. We've seen that. We've seen that both in kind of more manual labor positions, but also seeing it's more on the, the disability side of our mission. But for people with cognitive disabilities, using VR to give someone an opportunity to experience their office and walking around and where are different things that they you know where's the lunchroom where's the bathroom where are other things that they need to know and guess what if you put on that VR goggles you can run through it as many times as you want to feel comfortable with it outside of being in the office and that way when you get to the office you're a little more uh, comfortable doing that I'm sure that could absolutely apply on the aging side as well and for people with
0: disabilities the idea that this technology could break down some barriers for hiring even, so not only hiring, but retain, retaining those workers. Have you seen any great companies, or are there any great companies you wanna talk about a little bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know we certainly see, well, one, in more generality, I'll say, we've seen the statistics around employees with disabilities are incredibly loyal, so companies that hire people with disabilities get, I mean, incredible employees, So, and they retain them for, for quite a long time in many cases. So um, it's something we absolutely encourage companies to look at ways they can engage and employ more people with disabilities. Certainly we see many of the, the companies that, you know, uh, anyone who works with the government, there are certain percentages that they, they do, a lot of big companies. We're seeing companies like uh, Microsoft and MITRE and others along those lines have neurodiverse workforces. I was just talking earlier today on a stage with uh, people from MITRE about their whole neurodiversity program and how it's not just about training the employees, but also training the managers of those employees and really building the infrastructure around the employees to make sure that they can be successful in their jobs. Something you said in that
0: last answer—the idea that not only are managers being trained on how to deal with this, but coworkers are learning yeah. all about, you know, what they need to know to be able to understand yeah. this uh, workforce that might not have been there before.
1: Yep. Oh, absolutely. And that it, it's interesting as we've been having more of these conversations, and whether you're talking about neurodiversity or even, you know, hearing loss or vision loss for so long it was like oh here's your you know assistive software yeah. good luck but companies are really recognizing the opportunity by building that infrastructure around they're able to make sure that their employees can be successful in their job
0: and have you seen any new technology here that you're particularly excited about
1: well i mean i guess it's a question of you know excited just in general or excited uh, specifically in this area we have so many incredible startups over at uh, Eureka Park that you know everything from uh, over the counter hearing aids that's a category i just think is incredible because for so long it's been hard for people to get access to hearing help and you know part of it is the cost and part of it is the stigma and part of it is you know just not wanting to go through the effort that it takes to uh, get those devices so now we're actually just celebrating a little over a year that uh, over-the-counter hearing aids have been on the market. We're able to, you know, have people get these devices, and you know, it is not the exact same thing as a, a prescribed hearing aid. But for someone with mild to moderate hearing loss, it can be that bridge, and it can help them understand how hearing assistance can help. It can also help in a very uh, controlled environments. So you may not need a hearing aid twenty-four-seven. But if we're in a busy restaurant, you know, I know when I'm in a busy restaurant, half the time I'm just trying to understand what the person in, uh, across from me is saying. So I think there's some really incredible technologies like that. There was a Concha Labs uh, over there. We also saw Esplior uh, Waxatica here. They have built an over-the-counter hearing aid into a pair of glasses. So you know that is looking at just different form factors and it's uh, evidently it's really incredible. I haven't had a chance to try it yet, but based on others I've been talking to, uh, I'm really uh, looking forward to seeing that in action.
0: We sent our crew over there too and they were like blown away by it. So yeah. I think something like Lexadica and also these other over the counter hearing aids really have a good impact and you know we talk about working at working nation, we talk about the workforce. Yeah. It can make it easier for someone to stay in a job longer or even access a job if they're able to you know take care of that one little issue
1: yeah now there's so many people I've talked to who have said you know they just hid their hearing loss for years until it got to the point where they were you know on calls on meetings and realizing that they just had no idea what others were saying and Mm -hmm. you know technology has gotten better I mean we have captions in Zoom and Teams and all those various systems, but it's still not quite the the same. So yes, I absolutely see hearing assistance uh, technology as being uh, crucial for the the workforce. And if
0: you had one message for everybody out there about the impact of technology, not only on people with disabilities or older people, but just on our lives in general, what was that message?
1: You know, I think technology, there's so much incredible innovation out there. Technology holds the promise to really improve lives across the board. There are challenges, I will absolutely uh, agree with that, but when I meet these founders and look at the, the types of ideas that they're creating, the problems that they're trying to solve, I'm really a technology optimist for the opportunities that this technology can provide across you know work home and you know out at play because that's the other piece that often gets ignored is you know okay you know you can live independently at home and you can go to work but if you don't have the opportunity to you know go out to a restaurant with friends go to a movie do other things like that you know that's another opportunity for technology to really create those connections and, and create just that meaningful life that people can have
0: And Eureka Park, among the startups focused on using tech to increase access for people with disabilities, was Making Space. The company is an accessible talent acquisition and learning experience platform that allows media companies to identify, train, and access disabled, overlooked, and underrepresented talent pools. CEO Keely Catwells talked with me at CES. She explained that she founded Making Space as a result of her own personal experience as a person with a hidden disability in the workforce.
2: So we are a talent acquisition and learning experience platform for companies to identify, train, and access uh, disabled talent.
0: What made you want to be in this space?
2: So this was never the plan um, originally. I was training to be a dancer in my teens and then I became very unwell um, and then ended up spending a lot of my years in hospital. Um, I got misdiagnosed, undiagnosed and went through a lot of medical malpractice and trauma and basically came out the other side of hospital as a disabled person. And I had never been in that space before. I had no idea what to expect. And I just started realizing that the world was so inaccessible. So I live with chronic illness um, and a hidden disability and then when I moved to the US I ended up getting a job within the entertainment industry but after disclosing my disability and asking for accommodations and access requirements I then got told I could no longer have that job. So that was the light bulb moment for me that I really wanted to do something and try and make sure that this doesn't happen to anyone else and just create a more equitable and accessible world for disabled people.
0: What was the company's objections to offering an accommodation to someone who clearly needed it to do their job?
2: I think there are a lot of stereotypes around access requirements and accommodations and just misconceptions around accommodations. I think companies think that it's going to be very expensive, that it's going to be very laborious, that it's going to make the whole organization turn up on its head when usually it's just very small things that they can do to allow their employees to work better and more efficiently and more effectively so i think the first thing is just the fear of asking questions i didn't get anyone asking me questions of what i might need or asking for more details on what it may be it was just a flat out i think fear so it was like no and then and that's how a lot of people just don't get into the workforce because companies are so afraid to change the way and change the systems that they currently have in place
0: i also think that employees or job seekers even are afraid to ask for those accommodations as well because they fear that they're going to hit what you hit a roadblock stopping them from having a job that they want
2: oh absolutely disabled people are terrified of disclosing including myself um, because of all of the things that come with that and also just the stereotypes and the stigmas that exist in society about disabled people. I come from the media and entertainment side and oftentimes within that space, disabled people are depicted as one of three things, villains, victims, or inspirations. And that has led to society thinking that disabled people can cannot do certain things are scary are inspiring for just going to the grocery store and all of these misconceptions which has led to the workforce not employing disabled people and disabled people being terrified of disclosing and talking about disability. So that's one thing a um, Making Space that we are working towards. So we have built a tool and a feature within our, our platform that turns our lived experience of disability into transferable skills and professional strengths.
0: So tell me how Making spaces is, is making that space for people and making it not abnormal. You know, that's what, because the way you're talking about it, is very true. People look at it as abnormal, whether it's good abnormal or bad abnormal.
2: Yeah. And I will say too quickly to the prior point, there are so many disabled people that you would have no idea are disabled. And I think we have this idea of what disability is, but we need to unlearn so many things that we have been taught that disability is supposed to be and not assume that disabled people can or cannot do certain things. Um, But also I really hope that disabled people do feel more comfortable disclosing and that people who even have ADHD, diabetes, epilepsy, or who may have a medical condition but not identify as disabled, do start to identify because then they can get access to more support, they can get access to accommodations and also community.
0: I think your point too, because you have a hidden disability. But that doesn't mean that if you got some help, and I mean help in the workplace, that you wouldn't be able to... It's not preventing you from doing your job, is basically what I'm saying.
2: Absolutely. I think, and my company, we work by the social model of disability, which is a way of approaching disability by saying, I'm not disabled by my medical conditions. I'm disabled by the inaccessible society that we live in. And that's also why I use identity first language. Because it's a political statement saying that I am disabled by society, so I'm a disabled person.
0: Tell me about the um, tools that you have available for someone who would like to look at your platform and get some help.
2: Yeah, so I founded Making Space really with a passion of bridging certain skill gaps and getting disabled people into spaces that we've never really seen disabled people in before and also providing the career mobility and career advancement opportunities for disabled people because as soon as disabled people have their hands on budgets and are in leadership positions then change can accelerate. So we started off by partnering with large companies like Netflix and NBC to create education that was specific to open roles that they have at the company. And it was to bridge very specific knowledge gaps. So for instance, with Netflix, we worked on bridging the industry knowledge gap and get disabled people into the pipeline for for that company. And now we've started to build additional features. So we are turning lived experience of disability into transferable skills and professional strengths. Because we really believe that if we change the narrative around disability and show companies and society that it's not a bad thing, that actually because I live with a chronic illness and I have to manage my time and my energy and medical admin but I actually have a ton of transferable skills like adaptability and time management and various other things that are actually very beneficial to the workforce.
0: How is that being um, communicated to the employer? So if I was thinking, oh, I want to hire someone from this platform or, you know, look for people, how are they being able to, so like the minutiae of it, how is that transferable? information going out there
2: yeah so currently and this is kind of just version one of what we currently have um, if you can imagine the drop-down that you usually have on a self-identification form so for instance with disability you have yes no prefer not to say Um, we also have a yes no and I'm not sure So anyone who clicks yes or I'm not sure, will be prompted to talk about their lived experience, um, about the barriers that they face in society, about their history, and this is obviously all private and confidential information um, that our AI tool would then break down into the certain skills that they can also then validate on the platform through the training and education. Um, But those skills will live on their profile and be visible to the employers.
0: And how is the network partnership working? What are, you, what are they partnering on? You said it for, for jobs that are available?
2: Yeah, so both for jobs that are available and also any internal promotions and career advancement opportunities within the company, Uh, something that I was very passionate about was making sure that our solution didn't get deprioritized as soon as budgets got cut within corporations. So we are helping companies with retention, um, just talent recruitment in general, but also helping them save time and energy when it comes to that process and just helping them find better, better fitting candidates for the open positions.
0: Do I recall in a conversation we had that Graphic Artist was one of the positions that you were working with them for?
2: Yeah we, yeah. yeah, we did a really awesome partnership with Netflix for specifically for graphic designers and we have had hundreds of graphic designers go through the education and training and are now in the pipeline and currently being evaluated by Netflix to hopefully start getting some jobs.
0: And is it that they go in and they go through the training so it, you, they know what's going to happen or what is needed to do this job, and then once they are they proving something to the employer that they are able to do the job.
2: Yeah, it's we uh, we speak about it in kind of like pre-qualification terms, um, but we're also giving talent the opportunity to know the ins and outs of what it's going to be like to work at that company. And for disabled people, it's really awesome for them to be able to know what accommodations they could potentially get at that company. Um, And the talent, uh, Andy Lerma, who's the creative design lead at Netflix, he taught this course on the platform and he's disabled. And he talked about his experience as a disabled person at Netflix. And we found so many disabled people say, wow, I would never have seen myself in that position. I never thought that that career path was available to me. But seeing Andy talk about his experiences and talk about his journey at Netflix makes me want to now go down that career path and apply for this role. So we really feel confident that we're starting to untap some amazing talent that never even thought of applying for those positions before.
0: Tell me about the NBC program that you put together.
2: Yeah so we were very excited to partner with NBC Universal and NBC Sports to specifically create training and education for hosts and to uh, create education for roles that are open for the Paris uh, 2024 Broadcasting of the Olympics and Paralympics. Um, so we hosted some training, we filmed it in Stamford, Connecticut which is their big studio. Um, we brought disabled talent to the studio, filmed it and it's going to be on our platform shortly.
0: That's wonderful. It really is wonderful because it's nice to have that representation in a sport that is highlighting the Paralympics. It's fantastic. So there are the barriers and there are the roadblocks and the preconceived notions on folks that have disabilities hidden or not. Mm -hmm. How do you think technology in general has been able to help broaden the talent pool and making these jobs more accessible to people with the disabilities?
2: Yeah, technology has been huge. I think even if we just look at Apple and what they've been able to provide with their assistive technology on the iPhone, it's game-changing. The access that disabled people can have and also what you can view on that technology. I mean, I'm so passionate about the way that media and entertainment can shift perspectives and create access and, and create more equity within society. So even being able to have social media and seeing yourselves in different positions that you've never even imagined that you could be in before is really powerful. And I'm very excited about AI and what it can also do for the disabled community. Even being here at CES and where we are, with where our booth is in Eureka Park and seeing the solutions that people are creating, it's it's amazing.
0: And if somebody wanted to read more about your your company, Where do they go?
2: They can go to making-space.com, or they can also look us up on LinkedIn, which is just Making Space.
0: You've been listening to some of my conversations from CES 2024. This one with Keely Catwells, founder and CEO of Making Space, and Steve Ewell, executive director of the Consumer Technology Association Foundation, about how tech is helping advance accessibility. I'm Ramona Schindelheim, Editor-in-Chief of Working Nation. Thanks for listening.